you that our church is healthier again and people are able to come out. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us as we examine it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, John chapter 7. In John chapter 6, we had Jesus feeding the 5,000. He walked on water. And in the last part of it, he basically announced that he is God. John so that's, chapter 7? Yes. And in, verse, in John chapter 7, verse 1, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. We're going to stop there for just a moment because that is where that paragraph ends. It actually, this is one of these places where I didn't notice it before, but that verse belongs in chapter 6. All right. Uh, remember, the, the chapter and verses are not inspired, just uh, the words. So after all these things, he, he made the announcement of who he is and everything. He had to go back to Galilee because the word Jewry is actually Judah. So if you have a newer version, it probably says Judah, which is what the definition should have been in the first place. Uh, so he stayed away from Judah, which is where Bethlehem uh, Bethlehem and, and Jerusalem are in and because he stayed there because the Jews especially the leaders not just the Jews but the leaders were seeking to kill him why because he had just announced that he was God they did not like that so the Sadducees and Pharisees were out to get him so verse 2 now the Jews feast of the tabernacles was at hand his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judah, that your disciples also may see the works that you do. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that testify of it the works that are that their works are evil go you into up unto the feast i go not yet unto this feast for my time is not yet full come when he had said these things unto them he abode still in galilee all right feast of tabernacles uh, this means that it's sometime around september or october because that's when the feast of the tabernacles falls it's on the 15th day of tishri tishri which for us is about September, late September, early October, depending on uh, the calendar of the Jews. The Feast of the Tabernacles is one of the three feasts that the Jewish males are all supposed to go to the temple for. So this is kind of an interesting, interesting picture. Uh, the other two that they have to show up for is Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover is done. It says his brethren which we understand to be his actual brothers. Uh, Jesus had brothers. If people don't realize that, he had brothers and sisters. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had other children, so these would have been Jesus's half-brothers. You, you know, you had Mary as the mother, and then Joseph, who wasn't his father, being, there, being the father of these. And, and basically, his brothers are kind of an interesting characters in this picture. In this, uh, first off, they say, "Depart to Judah, so that your disciples may see the works that you have done." Now, they are not talking about the twelve disciples. They are talking about the people that were following him at the feeding of the five thousand and and all the uh, the the healing at Bethsaida, where he healed the man on the Sabbath day, uh, a couple chapters back. And his brothers are basically saying, you know, why don't you just go to Judah? 
You know, you think basically what you know what they're telling him is that uh, you think you're such hot stuff. Go go declare yourself if you're really who you say you are. Does that sound a little bit familiar to what Satan said to him? You know, if you if you are really God, then do these things. And he's going, and his brothers are basically challenging him. You know, hey, you think you're such, you know, you're doing miracles, you're saying you're God. Why don't you just go down there and prove it to everybody? And uh, and then they give him something in verse four that's very interesting. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So what they're, what they're doing is showing their heart. If we had this kind of power, we would be definitely going out and showing everybody what we do. So we know that you must secretly want to do the same thing that we would want to do. Huh? His, his half-brothers. Yeah, his half-brothers are telling him this. You know, you know, we know that you know, if, if you really had this power, you'd want to be known for, you, for this power. If you were really the Messiah... You'd want to be known as the Messiah, and they're challenging him with this whole, this whole thing. Uh, and they don't understand humility. They don't understand waiting for the time, the proper time that the Father has placed in for him. And they're basically accusing him of being just like them. You know, you know wanting, wanting attention, wanting fame. If we, if we could do this, we'd want fame. It's kind of like when, you, when we look at some of the famous people who get followed by paparazzi. They'll tell you how much they don't like it, but then they're being told where they are so the people will come and gather up and, and give them attention. And this is basically what they're, what they're saying to him. Why don't you just let everybody know who you are? You know, we, we know that you secretly want to do that. You, you really want people to know who you are. This, this is their accusation to Jesus. All right? They don't realize he's God. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need the recognition of people. He doesn't need, and he knows that he knows why he came to this world was not to become king and get rid of Rome. He came to die on a cross. And he understood that. His brothers don't understand that at this point in time, and neither do the disciples. None of the people that are around him really understand that he came to die on a cross. And so they're, they're not understanding his reluctance to become king. They're not understanding his reluctance to declare that I'm Messiah and I'm going to, I'm going to rebel, you know, we're going to rebel against Rome and we're going to conquer Rome and, and be the center of everything. So none of them understand that. And then this verse five says, for neither did his brothers, brethren believe in him. His brothers did not believe that he was the son of God. And they obviously did not believe the story that Mary and Joseph would have told them. That it was an immaculate conception, that she was a virgin. They're buying into the story that was running around town. You know, he's he's a bastard child. You know, he doesn't. He's illegitimate. He doesn't have a real father. Joseph, you know, is is uh, you know was his father, and you know all these different things that they have. They did not believe what they were being told, and it kind of makes sense. Neither we probably in the same place with you know at the time would not have believed it either. Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, right, Mary. You, you and Joseph didn't do anything, and this baby just popped into you somehow. We would have thought that same thing. His brothers, as they got old enough to understand the birds and the bees, would have said the same thing. You know, and we're not sure we believe mom and dad about this uh, crazy story that they are uh, making up on on us. And so they did not believe. They did not believe that he was God, and they did not want to believe. You've got to think how hard that would be to believe. You know, uh, my brother's God. 
If you even said it, it would sound so arrogant. Mom and dad say my brother's God. You know, even, even at that point, you're going to sound like, well, who do you guys think you are? And so they did not believe, and they're not going to believe until after the resurrection. Just because you're following God does not mean everything's going to go good for you. Matter of fact, everything tends to go bad for you because the people don't like who you're representing. They don't like what you're saying. They don't like how you say it. It doesn't really matter because they're going to look at you and say, and we all heard it. We've all heard it. If we've witnessed to anybody you know, and told them what they're doing is a sin and you, or I can't even do what you're doing because it's wrong, you think you're better than I am. Who do you, who do you think you are? Well, that's the kind of things his brothers would have been saying. Yeah, you think you're better. And in his case, he was better. <laughs> He could have actually said, yes, I am better, but he, I'm sure he was humble enough not to, to go with that answer to them. And, you know, even we could say that, you know, I'm not better, but I'm forgiven and I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So, yes, on one side, I am better because of who I know. But it doesn't win you any friends to do that kind of comment. Uh, it just makes them matter at you because then you're, then you're con convincing them that you think you're better. And so Jesus had a hard time with his brothers. They just did not believe him. Remember, there was another time they came and they wanted to carry him away because he's, he's a lunatic. We got to get him tucked away in a back room so nobody can see him. Uh, and so these are the things that Jesus' brothers were doing to him. And Jesus said, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Your time is always at hand. What is he saying? I'm waiting for the Father. But you in your flesh... It's always the time to do whatever you want to do. And this is something very important for us. And it's a very interesting thing when we're walking with God to know when to step forward and step out with God and when to just step and wait. You know, and God oftentimes will say, wait. Now the problem with waiting, and God did this to me many, many years ago. He told me to wait. I got so comfortable waiting that when he said go, I didn't want to go. You know, so we need to be careful that we're listening to God. It, it was hard for me to wait. And then it was really hard to say, okay, well, I'm enjoying waiting. Now it's time to get going. So we need to learn to listen to God. And Jesus was listening to the Father. He says, this is not my time. I am not to go announce myself. And if he had went down with his brothers, I'm sure his brothers would have helped him announce himself. Uh, to help him get the glory that he, they thought he wanted uh, because that's what they wanted. And it says, the world cannot hate you or uh, the idea of uh, de detesting or hating, but it, but it hates, but me it hates because I testify of it that its works are evil. So what does Jesus say? The world hates me because I speak the truth about it. Right? He is telling them that he's God, that they are, what they're doing is wrong. And, and the world specifically that, that's hating him is the leaders. The leaders all hate him because they're a bunch of self-righteous people thinking they're good. And Jesus keeps telling them, you're a bunch of serpents, you're whitewashed sepulchers, you, you know, you, you're evil. You think you're, you're looking like you know what, you know, following God, but you're not. And the ones that love him are those that are having struggling with trying to obey God and follow him. And this is even true to our day. The ones that we have the most trouble with are the ones that think they are good, even when they're not. 
you know, they're the ones that are going to really go, well, you know, you think you're better than us, you know, how come? But the ones who truly understand that they are not following God and they're having trouble, they usually respond to the love of God a lot better. And these were the ones Jesus said. He goes, the world hates me because I talk about their evil. And he goes, they're not going to hate you. You, you have no problem. You're not, you're not sharing anything. They don't hate you. And even more, he says, they cannot hate you because you're not in there. And part of what makes people hate us is not just any words we say, but the very fact that God's spirit dwells in us, people feel that spirit around them and they may not fully understand what it is. It's convicting them, but the presence of God convicts them of their evil. And then they're gonna lash out when they're convicted. And we've shared this before and it's happened to me many times where I just walk into a room, even before I was a pastor and people going, I feel bad. It's, it's all your fault. You know, what, you, what are you bringing here? And well, yes, I guess it was my fault. I brought the Spirit of God into their midst. But, and that's true of all of us. We're filled by the Spirit. So when we step into a situation where evil is abounding, people are going to feel uncomfortable. They're not even going to know why they feel uncomfortable in many cases. But they're going to feel uncomfortable because they are evil and God's goodness is in their presence. And Jesus says, the world hates me. He didn't even, he, Jesus would not have to say a word before, and people would get convicted. And then he also spoke. And so he goes, and then he tells them, hey, go on up to the feast. I, I go not yet unto the feast, for my time is not yet full come. He goes, go on up. It's not time for me to go yet. And I'm glad he put that yet in there. Otherwise, he was a liar. Because in the next section, he goes to the feast. He goes, it's, go on yet, it's not yet my time to go, to go to this feast. Now, we know that Jesus had to go to the feast. He had to keep all the law. So he had to go to this feast to be able to keep the law. And the Feast of the Tabernacles is a, one of the bigger feasts. It's a, a longer, longer feast in there. It's a feast that lasts for eight days. The first part of it is that the... You know, and if you live any place where Jews, Orthodox Jews live today, they will, they will build these huts outside in their yard, and for the week they will live in that wooden structure, because it's it, Feast of Tabernacles is the celebration of the wandering in the wilderness where God provided for them, and it's to remind them of the wandering in the wilderness before God brought them into the Promised Land. So this is a big feast for them to remember. And God does all these things for them to remember all kinds of things. The Passover was to remember the Exodus. Pentecost was to remember God's provision into the, into the spiritual realm. And, and the Feast of the Tabernacles was to remember God's provision in the wilderness. Now, I wish we had actual holidays that made us remember things. Because what's happened in our day, even the few holidays that are about remembering things, people forget. Why do we celebrate Thanksgiving? We're supposed to give thanks to, to God. Why do we celebrate Christmas that just passed? Because we're celebrating the birth of the sacrifice of God to, to, uh, to, for man. Why do we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus? Because that is where he bought us. And then we can go even into our country's you know, you know, 4th of July. What, what are we supposed to remember in 4th of July is the independence of America from, from uh, England Yet what does Independence Day become? Just a big big holiday to have some picnic and, 
and food and fireworks and forget about why we're doing it. And same thing with Memorial Day and Veterans Day, all these different holidays that we have that have a reason behind them and we forget what it is. And even for the Jews that are not Orthodox Jews, these holidays that they celebrate are just, just celebrations. You know, God told us to celebrate and they don't really fully comprehend what it is they're celebrating. They don't fully understand all the Passover means and, and what they see from it. And so they, they suffer with this. And it's very important for us to remember. God tells us over and over in the scriptures to remember. All right, so he says, it's not my time. And it says, and he stayed in Galilee while his brothers went to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is about a week's, week's trip. If you went straight line there, four, four days to, to seven days to go straight from Galilee to, to Jerusalem. His brothers, I'm sure, did not go through Samaria. They would have gone through uh, Jordan or through the Mediterranean route, which would have meant that they were on the road for at least a week or more. All right. Verse 10. But when his brethren were gone up, he went also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceives the people. Howbeit no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So as soon as his brothers disappeared, Jesus said, Now it's time for me to go. Because he was not going to go announce himself. And if he went with his brothers... I know what would have happened in there. It doesn't say he went secretly and he sent them away. But I'm sure by what they were saying, hey, this is our brother Jesus. He's the one that's claiming to be the Messiah. And they would have made sure everybody knew who he was and probably gotten him killed. A little too early. It wasn't his time, but he went secretly. And it says, and the Jews at the feast said, where is he? This is how famous Jesus has become in that area. Where is, this, where is this man who's claiming to be Messiah? Where is the one who said he was God? Where is the one that fed 5,000? Where is the one that healed this man on the Sabbath? Where is this, this man that is so stirring up the world, stirring up our world? And they're looking for him. And what were they saying? Some were saying that he's a good man. Some were saying that he deceives people. It's very interesting that even to this day, there's all kinds of opinions about Jesus. Many will say, basically the same opinion. He's a good man, he's a good prophet. The problem with calling him a prophet, a good prophet, a good teacher, is that it would be impossible to do so. He claims to be God, and he accepts worship, so he cannot be a good prophet. So that one has to be thrown out, and that's one of their statements that they make. He was a good, good man. Others say he's a deceiving people, he's a liar. That's still said today, you know, Jesus was a liar. And then other people just say he's crazy, like his brothers, brothers and, you know, and them, that he's crazy. So he goes in secret. These people are commenting on who he is. Who is this man? Even to this day, people are saying, who is Jesus? Now, the craziest ones I hear are the ones that deny that Jesus even lived. Uh, they're going, the only reference of Jesus in the Bible. No, all the ancient historians talked about him. The Romans have all kinds of documents about him. Uh, we have historical proof that there was a man named Jesus who lived in that, who was called the Nazarene, who, who was executed by Pilate. So we know, we know that he existed. There's not even a question of that. Now, the question would be, is he God? Now, that's a whole nother question altogether. Uh, 
and I think the proof of that is also out there, but we're not going to cover that today. But the people even in that day were going, we don't know, we, we, we got to talk to him. We want to know this man because he seems to be a good teacher. He's saying things, he's helping people, all these good things and the other things people know. He's a lying, lying deceiver. He's trying to deceive everybody. Now, I'm fairly sure that the ones calling him a deceiver were probably the scribes and Pharisees and those who consider themselves righteous. Those that are calling him good are those who have been helped and, and protected by what he's been doing. But a very interesting note here on 13, how be it no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. How easy is it for people to fear the leaders and what they'll do? Even in our day, we have people who won't say what they believe to be true for fear of the government or retali retaliation. And we as Christians need to be very careful that we do not get so fearful of people that we do not speak the truth. And it's going to come harder and harder to speak the truth in what God says. Because we're seeing it. I've been reading several articles from from England where people are being arrested for speaking what God says about things. Canada has people being arrested for saying things that God says are true. Our laws in America, our hate speech laws were patterned after Canadian laws and they are always telling us when they brought them out that they would never be used in America the way they were used in Canada. And if there's anybody who believes that, we've got a bridge out in Brooklyn we'd like to sell you. you know, uh, and yet people believe it. The government, the leaders, you know, strong people can keep people silent because people fear them. And we need to be very careful because who should we fear is God. I would, you know, I want to be pleasing to God rather than man. And if man doesn't like what I say, then that's too bad. As long as I'm saying it with love and care and, and kindness, then I will speak what God says. And we're seeing all over the place where people are being arrested for their beliefs and being fined and having their businesses pulled away from them because they stand for God. They're, and we're in a country where we're supposed to have the freedom of worship and yet they're trying to deny us that freedom to worship uh, because it hurts somebody else's feelings. You know, and to tell you the truth, I'm so tired of having other people because no matter what you say or do, somebody's gonna be hurt. Somebody's gonna get angry with you. So I want, if I'm going to be walking with it, I want God to be happy with me. And if the world's angry with me, then that's the way it's going to be. And we need to be very careful about all of this. Who are we looking to please? Who are we trying to stay in favor with? So Jesus had come to the feast quietly. The people are looking for him. They're seeking after him. Verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knows this man letters, having never learned? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that, speaks, seeks, but he that seeks his own his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Why go you about to kill me? And the people answered and said, You have a devil. Who goes about to kill you? <laughs> We're going to stop there for just a moment. 
Jesus has gone to the feast without people knowing that he's there. But he's, he's timing it for just when God wants him to speak. And then during the middle of this feast, he gets up and he starts teaching in the temple. This is pretty bold for somebody who knows that the Jews are trying to kill him to go out right to the center of all the activity where the, where the priests are, where their, where their, where their uh, guard is. And he started teaching, and they said something to him, which in, in the English doesn't sound very good. How knows this man his letters having never learned? And this is very interesting because it should have been, how knows this man the sacred writings having never been taught? In other words, he never went to school. He didn't sit under a rabbi. How does he know all of these sacred writings? And this is something that can be very important for us to understand because this is the accusation that everybody can get that hasn't gone to seminary or anything. How do they know the word of God? They've never, they've never gone and they don't, have, they don't have nine degrees after their name to tell, tell us that they know what they're talking about. That's what they're saying. What rabbi did this guy sit under to know, to know all this stuff? And the problem is when you sat under these rabbis, you got taught what other rabbis believed. And you might add a little bit here and there, and Jesus is giving them truth. And very strong truth that they, that they don't have never heard. And so it says, how does he know these writings? How does he know the, the scriptures this well? He's never, he, he has not been in Jerusalem. He did not go to school under, under one of the great leaders and rabbis of the, of the Jew, Jewish synagogue. Uh, so how did he learn this stuff? We, you know, he was in Nazareth. How did he, you know, there's no great school in Nazareth. How did he learn all of the truth that he was speaking? And he's in the temple, remember, so the, the priests and the, and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're all listening to him. Probably the other rabbis that ran the schools are listening to him, and they're going, the depth of his teaching was blowing their minds. Because he was teaching things that they had, that were definitely true, but they had never considered, and they're going, how how does he know this stuff? You know, probably looking at each other. Did you did you did you have him in your school? Did you have him in your school? Did you have him in your school? Nope, none of us have had him in school. So where did he learn all of this truth that he learned? And of course, he's the writer of it, so he knows it better than they do in the first place. But they don't understand that. This is why John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is that he was the one that knows this. So when he starts teaching it, there is no better teacher than the one who wrote the, wrote the book. And so, and Jesus says, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. In other words, he's not saying, I, I'm not saying what I think. I'm not saying what I believe. I'm saying what God says. And this is what he says, he who sent me, which goes back to what he's been saying before, that you know, I and the Father are one, and you know, I've come from the Father, and I abode with the Father, and I'm here to speak his words. And so he's saying, I'm not speaking to you what I believe. And any good teacher is in that same boat. We're not teaching what we believe. We're teaching what God has taught us. And in Jesus' case, he was teaching it perfectly. Not, no teacher is ever going to be able to teach it perfectly besides, but Jesus taught it perfectly. And he says, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God and whether I speak of myself. And this is something that is very important for us to understand. 
when you are filled with God's word and his presence, you really do know when somebody's speaking the truth. And I've had this happen, especially on the radio or the TV, when I'm listening to somebody and I'm going, what is this person talking about? You know, and you start listening and you're going, how far off into, they're not even in the field of play with what they're teaching. They're, they're off teaching crazy stuff. And this is what Jesus says. If you know the Father, you know his will, then you will know that what's being said is true. You know, not an emotional, but just it, it's true. And that means whether you like it or don't like it. There's times when I hear something that I know is true that I don't like hearing. I don't want to hear it. Several of those things have happened in the last week or so to me on the radio. I'm going, all right, God, why are these guys preaching at me and, you know, teaching me things that I don't want to hear? But I know that they're true. Those are very important times. And all of us have had that happen. I've had many pastors who've, who've taught me things that I did not want to hear even though I knew they were true and had to deal with them because something in my life was not right. So God was saying, this is where we're going to be and this is what Jesus is saying. If you know God, then you would know that what I'm saying is true. If you do, but be, then he goes, uh, you know, or whether I speak of myself. So you're going to know whether it's true or false. He goes, he that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true and un, no unrighteousness is in him. And this is one of the things that I understand some teachers do. They want to lift themselves up. Let me show you how smart I am, how, how well I understand the scriptures, and, they, and they'll do everything to use all the big words that they possibly can use and, and make you feel like you don't really know what's going on. Why? Because they want to say, well, you really need me. You really need me to be able to understand. And I do believe that we need teachers. Don't get me wrong. We need teachers to teach. But if a teacher is saying, you need me to be your teacher, you've got a problem. Because that person is not teaching God's word. And I've said it over and over. I am totally replaceable in this church. If God wants me out of this church, he can replace me in a heartbeat and somebody else just as good or better can come along and teach God's word. For now, he's got me here and I appreciate being the teacher and watching everybody's lives change. But I am, not, I am not that great. I understand that. I know scripture. I've studied it for a long time. But I also understand that I'm not the end all. And anytime you have somebody say, pay attention to me, listen to me because I say so, and don't, don't go in and compare scripture, you need to get away from that teacher as fast as possible. And we always want to be careful. Are we hearing truth? Not am I getting angry about what I'm hearing, but am I hearing the truth? And then step into it and know that it is true. And Jesus said, I, I'm not trying to lift myself up. He says, I'm lifting up the Father. And Jesus was in a place that he could have said, I want to be lifted up, because he's God. But he's always pointing to the Father. And the Spirit always points to the Son. And we as Christians should be pointing to the Son, to, because that is who we are to be looking to and lifting up. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And so we always want to point to Jesus. Never lifting ourselves up, never getting a big head because we're something special, because we're not. Our job is to lift Jesus up, point to Jesus, point to the word, and say, this is who we are to be looking at. 
And then Jesus goes something very hard on there. says, did not Moses give you the law and none of you keep the law? Why go you about to kill me? So this one is definitely aimed at the leaders in the temple. It goes, Moses gave you the law and you're not even keeping it. Why? Because they were finding all kinds of loopholes. They had loopholes for every single one of the rules. You know, you can't walk more than so many steps on the Sabbath day, so... You know, they would put things out there, so many steps, and they would be something from their home, and they'd say, well, I'm at home because my stuff from home is here. And then they'd walk another distance and go find something else that they had set ahead so they could walk long, long trips and say, well, I've been at home multiple times. And they would always do these little, little things saying, well, if I say that it's God, it belongs to God, I don't have to share it with anybody else, and when I die, it'll all go to God because... I'm so greedy, I don't want it to go to help mom and dad. I don't want to help my friends because it belongs to God. You know, and so when they died, everything that they said belonged to God was supposed to go to God, and I'm sure it didn't. There was probably loopholes for that to, get, to keep their stuff in their family. So they had loopholes upon loopholes upon loopholes, which is exactly what leaders in the world do. They make laws that don't apply to them because they have all kinds of loopholes to make sure that their law does not apply to them. Now, we see it all the time in Congress in America. They make laws, and it doesn't apply to them because there's some loophole that allows them to get, get away with not, not doing it. And others get to use the loophole, but you know, they, they write it up, and Jesus is looking at them saying, Moses gave you some simple, plain laws. Why aren't you keeping them? And he goes, why go you about to kill me? And he knows that the leaders are trying to kill him. They've, they've been doing it all along. They've tried to arrest him on several occasions just in the book of John. And then the people look at him and say, huh, you must have a devil. Who's trying to kill you? you know, they look at him going, there's nobody here. And why would they say that? They want to put this in perspective for you. He's in the temple. The leaders are all around him. There's a palace. There's the temple guard all around him. And nobody's arrested him while he's speaking. So the people are looking at him going, there must be something wrong with this guy. If they really wanted to kill him, wouldn't the soldiers have moved in already and arrested him and taken him out? So from their perspective, from the people's perspective, he's being crazy. But Jesus is speaking of the heart of the leader saying, I know you guys want me dead. And they know that he knows that they want him dead. So then the people look at him and going, uh, this guy's a lunatic, something's wrong, there's nobody here trying to arrest him. And you've got to put yourself in this position, it would be this, just like somebody going out and speaking against the government with the government soldiers all around them and not being arrested and saying, you're out to kill me. Which they would have been if they had their opportunity. But they also knew that they could not arrest him while, he's, while the people are all around him thinking that he's good. They had just as much problem as every other government does that you... You can only rule if the people let you rule, all right? And this was true, kings, dictators, everybody has to fight this constant battle of how can I keep my head on my shoulders and keep the people following me? And dictators cannot be as bad as they would like to be unless they have a big enough army to force, force the issue. Hitler had a big enough army and the Gestapo and the brown shirts and everything that he could force the issue and be a terrible lead, you know, be mean to everybody. But the more you're mean to people, the bigger your army has to be and the bigger your police force has to be to keep, keep everybody in line. Now, if you have somebody like 
the Jews who they're only in position because the people are allowing them to be in position, they have to be very careful about what they do. Whether they like Jesus or not, the people like Jesus, so they could not go in and arrest him at, in such an open place. So this is a problem for him. Kings had to do the same thing because if you were too, too bad a king and the, and the people didn't like you, you tended to lose your life as king somehow. All right, uh, And we always think of kings can do whatever they want. Yes, to a degree they could, but by the same token, if they were too evil, somebody would take them out eventually. Uh, and the people would give them a hard time and not pay taxes and all the other stuff that they could do to uh, give their displeasure. So the people are looking at him, Jesus, he must be crazy. There's nobody here arrest, trying to arrest him and, and kill him. And yet he's saying they're trying to kill him. And yet the leaders know darn well that he knows what's going on. So in verse uh, 21, Jesus answered and said, I have done one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you the circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. All right, so here's Jesus telling us exactly what people are talking about here in Jerusalem this big healing that was happening. He goes, you've seen one work. In, in Jerusalem, he'd only had one big work, and that was the healing of the man in Bethsaida that was lame. And he did it on Sabbath, which drew all kinds of attention. All right? Why? Because you don't work on the Sabbath, by their definition of work. And, and he says, Moses gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but of the Father. So he goes, you had the rules for circumcision given by Moses in the law, but circumcision went back 430 or so years, 490 years before Moses and the law, all the way back to Abraham. And God told Abraham, your children will be circumcised on the eighth day. And so he circumcised himself and his whole household and and Ishmael was circumcised. Isaac was circumcised when he was eight days old, when he was born and got eight days old. And so circumcision came long before Moses, and that's what Jesus said. It didn't come from Moses. It came from the fathers. It came from long before Moses. And he goes, and you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. He goes, if the eighth day falls on the Sabbath, you perform circumcision which by definition would be work. It's not life-threatening or it's not, they're not going to die if they didn't get their circumcision on the eighth day. They wouldn't be within the law, but they wouldn't have died. They could have done it the day before, day after. They could have made a loophole to allow, allow for it, but they didn't. And Jesus is calling them out on that. You, are, you guys are doing this work. You're having a, a risk, a ceremony for the circumcision because it was a full-fledged ceremony. Uh, that they would do when they did the circumcision. They had wine and all kinds of different things, and they cut the foreskin, they named the child on the eighth day, and all the stuff that happened for this event. And it was a big event. It was not a real simple, just go in there, cut, cut off, and be done with it. It was, a, it was an activity. And Jesus is saying, you do this activity on the Sabbath. If, it, if the eighth day falls on the Sabbath, you, you have this celebration. And, and he goes, 
And if a man on the Sabbath receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Because we can, you can take a baby and circumcise him on the eighth day on Sabbath day, but I made a man whole. He could walk. He could worship God. He could have his life all over, and you are upset that in calling what I did work. Now, we've shared with you the Jews have all kinds of rules as to what work is on the Sabbath. They have an entire book on these special rules, and a great chunk of it is what you can do on the Sabbath. And it's an amazing thing to read. If you ever get hold of one, it's an amazing thing to read. You, you, you uh, cannot open a, break the seal on a jar, but you can actually, if it's already open, uh, broken, you can open, the, open it and you're not working. But if you break the seal, you're working. If you spit on the Sabbath, you're, you're, you've broken it because the spit might actually plow into the ground and you're plowing. Uh, you know, they, they define exactly how heavy a weight can be lifted on the Sabbath before you're working. And this was the whole thing. That they, because they were looking at not honoring God, but just give us a bunch of rules so that we know what to follow. Define what work is, is what they spent their entire time doing. What is work? How high can I lift my foot before I walk? How many steps can I take before I've worked? You know, do, how fast can I walk without working? You know, all of these things came down to their, their rules. And God just made some very simple rules. He says, you can't light a fire, you can't cook, and you're to rest. Now, again, what does rest mean? I've, I've had this debate with different people. They go, well, I'm, I'm enjoying doing what I like to do. Well, you're breaking a sweat, and you, know, you seem to be working to me. You may enjoy building that house because it's not your normal career, but building that house sure seems like work to me. You're getting something accomplished. But that's between them and God, and that's what they had to do you know, through all these long discussions. What exactly is work? And Jesus said, I healed somebody. That is not work by God's standard. He goes, you guys will do a circumcision on it. That's not, and you and don't consider it work. I'm healing somebody. I'm making him whole. I'm making it that he can do his job and he can get out and, and no longer be a burden on society. And now you're angry at me because I broke your, your rules. And it's an amazing thing how many times Jesus broke man's traditions and rules and God says, you never broke any of my laws. He never broke any of God's laws, but he broke all of man's traditions. And I think he did it on purpose in many cases to say, now, this is your tradition. I'm just going to show you that your tradition's not worth anything. And they got angry because he broke the traditions. And you'll see that word several times in the scriptures. Why violate you the traditions of the fathers? Not the laws of God, but the traditions of the Father. The Jews freely admit that they put big fences around God's law so that you, if you violate their rules, you don't violate God's rules because you, all you did was cross the fence. And they'll freely tell you that, that they have made the rules really big so that you can't, won't break God's rules. But Jesus purposely broke man's rules over and over and over again. And so... He says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. This is very important for us. 
do we look at things and think we know what's going on and make a judgment? We have to be so careful about that because we look at something and go, well, that's wrong. I, I think that's wrong. Is that a righteous judgment or not? Do I really know all the details about what I think I'm seeing, which I don't? And so we need to be very careful about judging what we see. And Jesus is telling them, quit judging by what you think you see and look at what God is judging by. And for us as Christians, we are to be very careful. You know, we're told in, in Matthew, judge not lest you be judged. And then we have to add the next portion of it that says, by what measure you judge, you shall be judged. I want to judge by true judgments in the word of God. But we need to be very careful about what we think we see when we're judging. All right? Uh, because most of the time, we're wrong in what we think we see. And it needs to be very careful about that. You know, I may have the freedom to do a lot of things because God gives us liberty. We are not bound up by law. And if God gives me liberty to do something, it is not wrong for me to do it. Now, you may look at it and say, well, how, how dare he do that? And I may do the same thing to somebody else. I try not to, but I could be going, how dare they do such and such? But if God gives us liberty, there's not a problem with it. And, and you all know, because everybody, everybody here has probably asked me at least once, you know, can I do such and such? And my answer is, if you're asking, the answer is no, you can't do it. Because you already don't have liberty. You're already not believing that you can do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking, can I do it? You know, so anytime that you are questioning whether you can do something or not, the answer pretty much is going to be, no, for you, it's not allowed to be done. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be something that everybody else can do. And God says, no, you can't do it. And I've got certain areas in my life that I would never tell people what God has told me I can't do because I don't want to try to put them under bondage because of what God's told me. But we need to be very careful because we do not want to judge others. Now, we know that there are certain things that are sin. If somebody's stealing, they're committing adultery, fornication, uh, homosexuality, murder, you know, there are some things that are very clearly sin and that we do not have the liberty to go out and, and violate God's word. But there are a lot of what the world calls gray areas where God does not have a definite answer. And, you know, uh, drinking, you know, Drinking is one of those things, I think it's bad. I would never drink. But God does not have a verse in there that says thou shalt not drink. Now, he does say thou shalt not be a drunk. He does say don't lose control. So somebody who is somebody that can just take one or two drinks and not be affected, they have to deal with God. I can't do it. Uh, you know, can they do drugs? I think mind-altering drugs are something terrible. I would not recommend, but, you know, People will have to look and make that own decision between them. Somebody who gambles. Now, God says the uh, gain quickly made is quickly lost and all kinds of things. You know, gambling, I think, would not be a good thing. But again, that's something people have to make their own decision about. I don't think it's a wise move or anything else. It's kind of a foolish way to use your money. But if that's what you're doing, then that's, and you feel good about it, and God has not convicted you, then it's your, your call. And we need to understand all of these things are divine judgment, righteous judgment. 
unless it's something that God says, absolutely, thou shalt not, then I can't judge anybody else for their freedom. Paul very clearly went into this says, hey, you know, you Corinthians, you know, if you want to go buy meat at the temple, at the temple of Diana and buy the best meat for a low cost and, and serve, it, serve it up and eat it yourself, more power to you. It's only a statue. It's no big deal. But if you cannot, if you feel bad about doing it, then don't do it. If you're going to have somebody at your house that feels bad, do it. Then for their sake, don't, don't serve it or don't tell them where it came from. You know, so he's doing these very things saying, what is, you have liberty to do is fine. Now, for us, we don't even understand the whole idea of buying meat offered to a sacrifice. It doesn't mean anything to us because you know, we know that that statue was just a statue. But there were many that didn't think of it as a statue. Even if they'd become a Christian, that statue was something they used to worship. And to them, it's still, you know, I know I'm following God, but I'm having trouble separating the two. And they would not, would not consume it. And that for them, it would have been wrong. And this is very important for us to understand that when Jesus is saying all of this, judge properly. And the best thing to do is, if it's not a thou shalt not, then don't judge it. Now, I grew up in an area at a time when they were saying that just going to a movies or playing cards was sinful. Now, I loved, my family loved playing cards. You know, and I actually had somebody in a church tell me that our, our, our family game nights playing cards was sinful. I'm going, well, I don't know how you figure that. We're having fun as a family. Go away. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we need to understand that people are always going to look and say, you're not doing things the way I do it. So, therefore, if I'm doing it, it must be right. And if you're not doing what I do, you're wrong. And this is a serious issue, and we kind of think, you know, how strange that sound is, but that is the way a lot of people think. I'm the standard of righteousness. If, I'm do, if I can do it, then it's okay, and if I can't do it, it's not okay. And we want to be very careful about that. Number one, all of us are at a different place with God. Number two, he grows us at different places at different speeds. There are things that I can, can't do that others can do and that I can do that others can't do. And I'm never going to say that they're wrong for doing what I can't do or, or that they're right for doing things that I, you know, better than, you know, maybe more righteously than I am because there's conviction of it. And we need to be able to stand. And Jesus says, judge correctly. Look at righteousness, not what you think you see. Because we cannot see into the heart of the person to say, do they... Are they at liberty? Do they have peace at doing what they're doing? Or are they actually fighting God with it? And that's very important on all of this, is how do people move forward? All right. I'm going to stop here because I can't get to the end of the paragraph from here. (laughs) We're going to stop at verse 25. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we go about your business. Teach us to love you and judge correctly. Help us to see what's going on and through your eyes. Teach us to love others and not be judgmental. Help us to seek you in all that we do and to share you with all those around us. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says 
the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.